five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. And welcome back into the Bama on three show. This is your host, Clint Lamb, sitting here once again with Jimmy Stein. Jimmy, how are we doing on this Friday morning? Just got through with SEC Media Days. Actually, I just got an email. Poor timing as far as the podcast recording is concerned, but the preseason SEC football media poll, and and they're all SEC teams, have been announced. Probably get into that a little bit. Alabama had several. A league-high 19 players made the uh, preseason all-SEC team. 19? Yeah. Yeah. Do they have three teams? Uh, let's see. Yeah, it's three team. Uh, 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 yes. First, second. Okay. Yeah, first, second, and third team. And really, the way that they had his vote, it wasn't like pick this guy for first. It's just rank for wide receivers. It's like rank, you know, pick eight and then rank them. And then I guess they have a formula that, you know, puts mm-hmm. it, these guys on, you know, which team they actually make. And that makes sense. But uh, first team was Bryce Young, Jameer Gibbs, Jermaine Burton, and Emil Ikior Jr., First team defense, Will Anderson Jr., Henry Toto, Toto, Jordan Battle, and Eli Ricks. And then special teams on first team was all-purpose Jameer Gibbs and place kicker Will Reichard. You also got four guys on the second team and, what, six on the third team. So several Alabama players recognized. And I'm looking through. It is blowing me away uh, because, okay, I'll go ahead and just read it. Um, I don't like I don't like reading it all out, but second team offense, Cameron Latou and JVN Cohen. Latou, that's a bit of a stri- stri- surprise. Uh, second team defense, DJ Dell and Dallas Turner. Third team offense, Tyler Steen and Kendall Randolph. That is very strange to me. And then third team defense, Justin Naboigby, Kool-Aid McKinstry, Malachi Moore. And then, of course, on special teams as a return specialist, JoJo Earl. So, I guess that's assuming he's going to take over punt return duties. The Kendall Ugh. Randolph thing is interesting to me because it's like they shouldn't have a third. They shouldn't have a third team. They you shouldn't have a third team. I mean, I don't want. I, I mean, our players that got recognized, cool for them. I mean, that's fine. But don't have a third team, especially in the preseason. But maybe after you have sixteen teams, I could, I could start arguing that you need a third team. Yeah. But I just don't like third team preseason. And, and then they're listing guys, frankly, that aren't starting. Kendall Randolph is a guy that plays with Alabama's first team, but he can't make a, a, a preseason all-SEC team. That's that's sort of silly. No, no disrespect to Kendall. He's good at what he does, but you don't put what he does on an all-star team. Well, think about who's the guy listed directly above him, Tyler Steen, the guy who is actually probably yeah. going to be the guy who replaces him in the starting lineup. That, exactly to me, is... Right is very weird. Now, granted, I voted for, uh, you know, all these guys pretty high, uh, you know, you know, on the first team, the guy who got left off and it's criminal to me. I'm, I'm actually very disturbed by this as I'm looking through. Where is Brian Branch? Cause I had him wow. rated pretty high. Uh, I wouldn't say like super high. I mean, there's a lot of great defensive backs in the sec, but he's not even included. And you've got Malachi Moore. So you got the guy who is probably the guy that he replaced. Yeah, you got him. You replaced Malachi. And this is what happens. And this is why I I really take, you know, the time to go and learn. And one thing I'll say about being down at SEC Media Days this week or over at SEC Media Days, 
is you you realize you can I, I take pride in knowing as much about all the other SEC teams as possible. But when you get around other teams beat writers, they eat, sleep, breathe, you know, just like you and me, as far as you know, covering Alabama. We we need to know everything. We want to know everything that we can so we can be, you know, as educated as as possible on the subject. Um, and all these other beat writers are the same way, you know, that they they make a living doing it as well. But and they don't know, things. but they don't, but they don't know the other teams. Exactly. And not, not well enough. Um, there's way too many people and we've seen it in first round mock drafts. You know, if somehow Malachi Moore can become a first round draft pick being a guy who plays maybe the money spot or maybe plays in a rotational role, you know, that's some, that's some Clay Matthews USC level uh, climb <laughs> right there. But you know, a lot of people are going after, are going based off of his performance in 2020. And I right. understand that, but you got to realize things changed. He was a standout guy. He's a recognizable name from that production and that right. performance that he had in 2020. But anybody who paid attention to the 2021 season and it some of a lot of it could have been injury related, but you still got to take into account right now. He's probably not a starter. He's going to play with the first team defense a ton. So based off of your definition of starter, which I actually like that, I would say he probably is considered a starter, but he's not going to be getting true starter uh, reps. And then Kendall Randolph, man, uh, granted, he could end up, you know, playing right tackle. You know, it, it he could end up being the starting left tackle for week one. If Tyler Steen, who just arrived on campus, you know, uh, just, I guess now we're closing in on about two months ago. Maybe he'll end up starting week one because Tyler Steen is still getting acclimated. But long term, I don't, I don't know that Kendall Randolph's going to survive as a starter. Other than that, I'm, I'm fine with the list. I'm fine with Cameron Latou. Obviously, you're going to put Brock Bowers at number one, but right. I'm tr- trying to think about you know who the other tight ends in the SEC are. The Georgia Maybe. guys. Yeah, I mean, would it would be first. Brock, Brock Bowers at one, Arik Gilbert two, and uh, Darnell Washington three. Yeah, I think that. Uh, and what's now? I will say this. Limited options. There was guys that I was looking for to put on my list as I was doing it, and they weren't available. And I thought, yes. I mean, you you think they give you absolutely everybody, but they don't. Now I, I want to say that at least one, maybe Eric Gilbert, maybe because he's a receiver. You know, he's going to be probably playing a lot of receiver for Georgia because they do have so many tight ends. Maybe that's why he wasn't included. But I I want to say he wasn't an option. And then he's pretty good. I think Auburn's tight end is a pretty good player not 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 first team all sec good but yeah i mean, I mean broke, if, we're, if we're if we're getting down to a third and a fourth and a fifth team that auburn guy what's his name shinker or something he, yeah he, he's 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 a pretty good player yeah that's a great point and i mean he broke the the school record for auburn for i think catches and receiving yards this past year so for a tight end for a tight, for a tight yeah, end. yeah for a tight end yeah got to distinguish yeah. that but it's good enough for good enough for third team for me yeah that's a great point who is the Jaheim Bell, South Carolina, was a third-team tight end. Yeah, I'm not familiar uh, with him, but uh, but all right. Interesting. Just uh, right as we were hopping on here to, to talk about a bunch of other stuff, here comes the preseason all-SEC media teams. And Georgia and Alabama obviously picked to win their divisions. Obviously, Alabama is predicted to win the SEC outright by a pretty heavy margin. In fact, it was, yeah, the the predicted SEC champion, Alabama had 158 points. Second place was Georgia with 18. Wow. So it, it is not even remotely close. I do respect the fact that the other three teams on this list is South Carolina with three points, 
Vanderbilt with one point and Texas A&M with one point. Vanderbilt so, with a point. Yeah, I'm guessing that was uh, Clark Lee, considering they're the best program <laughs> in the country. I'm I just saying, I get, there's going to be a clown. There's going to be a class clown in every class, right? So, well, that is uh, strange to me, man. But anyways, that's that wasn't the the reason that we were getting on here to talk today. And now I'm worried about Tom. But we'll make work. What we make work. We might have to do what we did last time: hop off, hop back on, record. You know, just combine them, whatever. Alabama got a commitment today in Olas uh, Alinian, which Alinian, yeah. I think. I think Alinian. Alinian. That's how. That's how he said it this morning. Like Alinian, like but it's yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think that was, I, I think that's as close as I'm gonna get to it. Is Alinian. Alinian. We're gonna get that right, man. It, I'm, I some of these names provide me with uh, some difficulty. Clint Lamb is not overly difficult. To say, I don't think I don't think uh, Jimmy Stein is going to cause anybody problems. I get some steens. I get some steens, but but uh, uh, but and that that's fine. I, I never get bothered by that. But yeah. uh, no, no, mo- most most people get it right the first time. But yeah, I'll get some steens here and there. I get Cliff a lot when I introduce myself. Cliff. People they're like Cliff, good to meet you, and I'm like, you know, we'll just roll with it. I don't care. <laughs> um, but and that, not everybody shares the the lack of caring on that front. So. <laughs> I want to make sure I get names right. So I lean in, I lean in, but yeah, he committed to Alabama this morning, which was huge. It was an early morning commitment. A lot of Alabama fans probably waking up, getting ready for work, getting to work. And the next thing you know, bam, find out Alabama picked up yet another talented player, man, international product from Finland has more of a hockey background than a football background. I'm pretty sure it's just one year. He's only played one year of high school football, right? Uh, I, I don't think that's – I'm not sure because I'm not sure when he got to uh, the Loomis uh, school. I'm, I'm not sure uh, about that. I'd be a little surprised. You know, his dad played uh, in NFL Europe, so I know he has good training and kind of extensive co- – this isn't a foreign exchange student who's huge and the high school coach is like, we need to teach you how to play football. It's not that situation whatsoever. I think he's kind of been a – I'm going to play in college and play college football and then hopefully play pro football guy. I think since he was younger, uh, again, because his dad has this experience playing in NFL Europe, which, uh, w- which was a thing a long time ago. I think, I think NFL Europe was really a nineties thing uh, or maybe into the 2000s, early two thousands, but yeah, the NFL owned a league in Europe and, and filled it with primarily European guys. Some Americans, Saran Stacy from Alabama is still one of the all-time leading rushers in NFL Europe history. Uh, but but Olas' dad, Klaus, how cool is that? Olas and his dad, Klaus. Uh, Klaus played a tackle for the Berlin team in NFL Europe. Yeah, I want to say at one point in time, the only thing that makes me even remotely familiar with that league was at one point in time after Ricky Williams tried to come back, I want to say he ended up in that league. That's trying right. to get his, yeah, trying to get his feet wet. I want, he might have spent some time in the CFL as well, but I, I want to say that he played over in Europe for a short mm-hmm. period of time as well. But Charles Power, who kind of does a lot of the recruiting yeah. stuff as far as evaluations and just mm-hmm. recruiting rankings, he helps set the rankings that are out there. You know, he thinks that Olas could end up being a, a swing tackle on the college level, either end up playing guard or tackle. When I threw when I threw on the tape, I saw a big physical kid 
had the bend that you look for, seemed pretty fluid, but he's much more advanced. And Charles Power mentions this. He's much more advanced as far as being a, a run blocker than a pass protector, which kind of right. makes sense. I mean, if you know, you're looking at him, he doesn't have a whole lot of experience. There's not a whole lot of tape to go on with this kid. It would make sense that, uh, you know, he would be a little bit raw in that area as far as, you know, working in his kick set. And there's a lot of technicality and there's a lot of steps. It really, the kick sets and stuff, it's a work of art. And I don't think a lot of people realize what all goes into it. There's certain steps that you've got to know when working the tackle position. And it takes time. You kind of got to break it down section by section when you teach it and make sure that they get each section to make sure. And then you kind of put everything together. And that's where the art comes into play. But he's going to be raw in that area. But he seems like a kid that's going to work extremely hard. What was he doing right before the commitment, Jimmy? He was out in the yard working on his pass protection with his dad. There you so, go. There you go. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I see a kid myself, uh, and, and I think this is in line with Charles's comments uh, this morning, too, on the great piece that Joseph wrote uh, on, on the on three, Bama on three. Uh, to me, he plays with good technique, which is surprising because – you know, he doesn't need it. I mean, these real huge, strong kids, how much technique does he need to block a guy who's, who's, who's going to graduate from high school and then, then go study accounting at the Wharton school, you know, at, at university of Penn. I mean, he, he's not playing against other guys who are going to go play college football and it's easy for him. That, that, that league is just so easy for him yet. He's disciplined. I, I see a kid who is playing with good technique, probably because he's worked on it so much with his dad who got literal NFL training, you know, uh, and, and the dad is passing that down. So I, I, I really like Olas. Uh, I, I think he can be a multi-year starter at Alabama, whether it's right tackle or at guard, uh, either spot. Uh, I, I think he can be, uh, but you won't know for sure until you see him block uh, guys like a Dallas Turner. I mean, because he's he's in a game situation. He's never going up against someone like that. And and, and it's going to take a minute, you know, to adjust. I think from, a, you know, playing with technique, you know, playing with good technique, I think he's really good in that regard when it comes to the run game. I think there's still some progress that needs to be made right. as far as pass protection, but that's – I agree with you wholeheartedly um, on, on the run blocking front. And just – I watched his tape before I really knew his background because, you know, this is a guy that Alabama has been on for a while and I have really tried to, you know, keep up with watching tape, you know, for the NFL. Obviously I keep up with Alabama, but it's, it's more so what I typically do in the past is just go and look and really study up on guys who are going to be arriving. It's the guys who sign is kind of my process. Now, you know, it's like guys who commit guys who are maybe planning to commit. I, I want to go ahead and get an idea because we're doing the podcast and I want to be able to share, you know, what I think or what I see. And I didn't realize, you know, watching him and then learning about his background and the fact that maybe he doesn't have as much experience playing football as some other guys. I, I'd go back and watch again because I was, you know, it's kind of like you. I, and it makes sense based off of his dad's background. Now it makes, you know, um, I could see where maybe he w would be able to get – a a little bit more extra coaching and that should help. I think he said that his dad was his first football coach. So yeah. he's been working with him for quite a while, but good kid, big kid. Um, you know, I, there was, you know, a, a point in time where a lot of people thought maybe he was Miami bound 
And I think mm-hmm. Alabama fans were sick and tired of hearing about Mario Cristobal in Miami as far as getting some <laughs> guys that, you know, Alabama's been targeting and going after. But it, it's, you know, it's the second offensive line commit, and it's turning into a pretty good group. I think this kid's got a pretty high ceiling, and we'll just have to, kind of have to see what happens with him. Yep, yep. I'm, I'm excited about him. Probably not someone uh, that, that's going to help right off the bat. Uh, I'm just working on right now, as soon as we finish the podcast, I'll be able to, to uh, publish a story to the site. But I sort of broke down the 14 commitments in tiers, uh, you know, uh, in terms of how, how you can really look at the class. And one thing I noticed about guys at the bottom, I mean, the guys that, 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 that I'm putting in what, what I call the others categories are the guys that are going to help the team right away. I mean, Malik Benson being a Juco uh, and Connor Talty being a kicker, they're not guys that are helping Alabama's recruiting rankings at all. Al- you know, a lot of fans want to see Alabama finish number one in recruiting rankings, and I do too. It's not super important, and, and I don't really know what it means uh, scientifically, but, but I do want to see Alabama number one. And here's Malik Benson and Connor Talty not even helping the class in terms of where it's ranked recruiting-wise. Yet Malik Benson may be the very best wide receiver on the football team in 2023, and Connor Talty might be the starting kicker. So it's not just the recruiting rankings that we have to watch. I mean, it's the class one through 14. And to me, what's amazing is the class is ranked third and moving up. It's third and rising. And then you have stars like Benson and Connor Talty who aren't helping the recruiting rankings yet they're going to help the team on the field win games as soon as next season. 100%. That is something that nowadays I think fans need to let go of the number one classes. If you can sign one, that's great. Uh, Obviously, you know, that's going to be beneficial. Used to, with the way that talent was accumulated on your roster, having the number one class signaled that you had, especially when you could do it multiple years in a row, you're going to have more talent than anybody. The problem is there's way too many guys who, who are technically going to come in and really help your football team. You know, the Juco guys you're talking about, you know, a kicker. Uh, but more importantly, the transfer portal guys. Mm-hmm. Alabama goes out. They saw the number two class, but they go out there and they sign, you know, what is it, six uh, potential starters through the transfer portal. And yeah, absolutely. And, and not just starters, impact, high impact starters, guys who are going to, you know, they're, they're making preseason all SEC teams, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you talk about Eli Ricks coming over, Jermaine Burton, Jameer Gibbs. These are all guys who are expected to not just be starters, but be some of the best players at their position in all of college football. This is an avenue of, of roster management, roster building that Nick Saban didn't have at his disposal before. And they're, I think Alabama is going to become more selective with what they're looking for on the high school level because you can take your roster management on a more year-to-year basis. You're not trying to accumulate all this talent in the 2023 class to help benefit you in 2025. That's where really things start to pay off 2024 and 2025 when you're talking about this current crop. And that's how you build your long-term depth, and it's still very important, and you want to have that player development. But you know on a year-to-year basis, you don't have to think years in advance necessarily because if you have a hole on your roster you can go and target high impact players and one thing about it there will be certain guys who are searching for money in the transfer portal Uh, you certainly saw a lot of them uh, or at least a few of them 
And, you know, we could probably talk about who those players are, but I won't mention them by name. But a lot of the guys, they're entering the, they're entering the transfer portal, especially in the next couple of years. They, they probably would have made their money or made some money to be able to help their families. And now they're looking to go somewhere that's going to help set them up for the next level. And where do you think is going to be the, the prime destination for those decisions? It's going to be Alabama. And, and you're already seeing it with guys. I mean, we've talked about it before, but Jermaine Burton just won a national championship with Georgia. And he was one of their featured players on offense. And he still went and joined the team that his team defeated in the national title because of the offense and what it can help him do as far as the next level. So I don't think Alabama's going to worry about number one recruiting classes. They're going to pick the guys that they want, the long-term development, the guys who have the right mentality, the dogs, you know, that, that got a little dog in them that everybody's been talking about. You want those guys, and then you go out there and you find the right fits in the transfer portal, and you can build your roster that way and still have the the best roster in college football. And I think that's something that Alabama is going to continue to do. Absolutely. You know, adding those portal guys like you're talking about, it's not like Alabama wouldn't have been fine with the running backs they had. I mean, Jace McClellan, assuming that they've, they've recovered from injury and all indications right now are that they have, Jace McClellan, Roy Dell Williams, Trace Sanders, the freshman Jamarian Miller, Alabama would have been really good at running back this fall. But you can't not take Gibbs. <laughs> you can't not take Gibbs. Gibbs is one of the elite running backs in the United States. Uh, he wasn't a must yet. He wasn't a, well, we have a hole that needs to be filled. It was a, we can really improve our roster if we take Gibbs. Uh, now, Burton and Tyler uh, Harrell, different situation. I, I, I think Alabama needed veteran receivers because the bulk of the receivers on the roster are really young. And while they're exciting, you can't depend on a young guy that's never done it to be your go-to guy. You can't really depend on that. So I think receiver was a little different. They needed a veteran receiver. And then they found a good marriage in Burton who needed a place that could showcase him. He, He wasn't going to be showcased in the Georgia offense. He wasn't going to be a guy that caught a thousand yards worth of balls. I, I think what Jamison Williams did, Clint for Alabama, can't be stated enough. I, I think people, I think wide receivers around the country of all ages saw, wow, he was third at Ohio State and was probably going to be maybe not even a first round pick because Alavi and Garrett Wilson were going to catch all the balls. And he goes to Alabama and shows, you know, hey, I can catch a thousand yards. He still didn't get drafted ahead of Olavi and Garrett Wilson. He still didn't. But that, that doesn't mean Ohio State didn't have the order right. But, but of course, now Jamison also had a torn ACL. Uh, but my point is, Jamison Williams was sort of a story for wide receivers all over the country. And I guarantee you, Jermaine Burton is at Alabama in part because of the Jamison Williams story. I don't disagree with that at all. You know, you talk about guys that they landed. Let's talk about guys they didn't land. How about Jordan Addison? Do you think Alabama really needed Jordan Addison when they were targeting no. him? Do you think that, no. I mean, this was pure luxury, and it was luxury to a point that Alabama almost landed one of the best receivers in the country to pair with a Jermaine Burton and a Tyler Harrell and a JoJo Earl and this entire, this really talented, a little bit uncertain as far as pecking order, but a very talented group of receivers. Alabama was about to go out there and go from having the runner-up Bolitnikoff award winner and Jamison Williams to the Bolitnikoff award-winning receiver and Jordan Addison. 
that's the type of thing that Alabama is going to be able to do moving forward. So when they're not getting all these high school recruits that you want them to, there's certain positions when you go and look as far as available transfer portal players, and maybe this is going to be different on a year-to-year basis, but there are certain positions you want to load up on. You don't want to have to rely on the portal. And then there's others where they're like a receiver, running back, you know, quarterback apparently. I mean, obviously, because there's only one starter at a lot of these places, but you're going to be able to go and find yourself quality players at certain positions. Others you want to kind of load up on a little bit. But it's, I just find it interesting how much the game has changed and how you can build your roster. And I want people to know, just because the number next to their class it might not be what you're used to seeing, the talent that when, when you include all those transfer portal players on top of having the number two overall recruiting class, the argument can be made that Alabama signed the best group of players collectively as anybody in the country. But just the rankings don't necessarily reflect that as much. So no reason to freak out there. But now we're going to move on and talk a little bit about SEC Media Days. I uh, got back yesterday from that. Great week. Love immer- immersing myself in the college football landscape. I love the fact that we kind of just dive right in and it's just craziness. I mean, it's work, man. It's radio <laughs> interviews. It's it's message board posts. It's articles. It's tweets. But, I, I mean, it's, it's a great way to kick off the season. And I had a lot of fun, and, and I'm glad I got to do it. But let's talk a little bit about some of the things that were said. I'll go ahead and kick it over to you and give you an opportunity. But just what were some of the initial things, whether it be Nick Saban, whether it be Will Anderson, Bryce Young, or it can be something that, that another coach said. But what are some of the things that stood out to you as far as SEC Media Days this week? Well, I always want to start with Alabama because, I mean, that's why we're here. And uh, that, that's, you know, that's why people tune in is Alabama stuff, of course. And uh, I thought Nick's uh, coaches, you know, his, his monologue, his uh, stand-up act, at the, you know, behind the podium uh, wasn't very exciting. I thought it was a little more bland than, than normal. I didn't think he made a lot of headlines, nor did we learn a lot about this Alabama team. Yet then he does his interview with the SEC network crew uh, with, with, with Laura Rutledge and, and Roman Harper and Tim Tebow. And uh, I guess, uh, you know, and that was great. That was great. We got a lot of great saving quotes. And, and my, my one takeaway myself in terms of like, what did I take away was especially in that interview and he, he directly addressed it. He did not look, appear, or say anything that makes you believe this is his last go-round. I mean, he didn't look tired. He looked energetic. He mocked other coaches talking about his retirement. He explained, I think, fully his real thinking on it, which is, what the hell am I going to do if I retire? I mean, what would I do? Because he's not a sit-on-the-porch-and-rock-and-stare-at-the-sunset and, and, you know, guy. Uh, that's not who he is. And that was my takeaway from Alabama uh, is Nick addressing the retirement thing, addressing that he has zero plans. And he mocked it. He said, ask the other coaches where they're coming up with this, that I'm going to retire because I'm not going to retire. I, I, what, what would I do? And, you know, how, how did they know more about me than I know about me? Uh, uh, and he was hostile about it. And I liked it because he didn't come across as a, as a nearly 71-year-old man when he did it. So that, that's my main takeaway as far as Alabama's concerned. That was far and away my biggest takeaway as well. Did we get a lot of nuggets? You know, there's still some concern 
about the offensive line. We'll talk about that here in a second. There's, you know, some concern. You know, I've been I've been approaching boundary corner as a position of strength for Alabama. And I don't think Nick Saban at this point in time really agrees with that. And it makes me pause and take a step back and say, okay, maybe I need to reevaluate how I'm viewing it. Because I see Kool-Aid McKinstry, I see Kyrie Jackson, and I see Eli Ricks. I saw, you know, a guy who got very valuable experience in the college football playoff last year in Kyrie Jackson, a guy who I felt like, and from what I heard, took a big step forward in the spring. Uh, you know, Kool-Aid McKinstry, former five-star talent, was a true freshman last year, got six starts, played a lot of football, close to 500 snaps, saw him go through some growing pains, and he's still a, a, a developing player, but saw him get better. You would think he's going to be much improved in year two. You saw, of course, Eli Ricks, like I said, which, of course, he was recovering from the shoulder injury throughout the spring, but you know what you're going to get when he is healthy. You know, if he can recapture that 2020 form where he was a, you know, a, I think it was a third-team All-American, very talented, impactful corner that a lot of people are projecting to be a first-round pick, if not a top-ten pick. I, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, you got those three guys headlining. You're trying to figure out who your two starters are going to be. Then you got guys like Tyrion Arnold, who's going to be – you know, available as maybe a, a number four corner, or maybe he gets used in, in some other ways. But you got guys like Earl Little Jr. who, who are going to be arriving on campus. I just thought Alabama was in really good shape at that position. And Nick mm -hmm. Saban revealed that Kool-Aid McKinstry and Kyrie Jackson had dealt with off-season injuries, you know, that period of time between, you know, current day and back in the spring when sp uh, spring wrapped up. It was probably like some – you know, go in and get something cleaned up, and then it's just been recovering. But that's time that these guys both have not been able to go through summer, you know, off-season conditioning program and strength program, or at least they've been limited. So that's something to monitor. Uh, and we'll talk about We'll continue that here in just a second. But getting back to your Nick Saban retirement portion of this, I thought that was the most important thing that he said. Because one thing I'll, I'll say about Nick Saban is and, and really the Alabama program, they've always done a fantastic job of combating or countering a lot of these, you know, negative recruiting tactics that other programs and coaches use, right? I mean, the big one that stands out, and I'm sure a lot of people have heard this, is, you know, a lot of coaches used to make the pitch to recruits, hey, Alabama's loaded with talent. You're never going to play if you go there. And that was it, you know, a player stops and they're like, I mean, that's a good point. And then you go and you talk to Alabama and, and Nick Saban, it's like, well, I mean, so-and-so brought up that I'm never going to play here and right. because there's so much depth. And then their counter was, is that coach telling you that you're that he didn't think you're good enough you're to good. play here? <laughs> and right. then, it, then it becomes that player feels disrespected by the other coach, and Alabama ends up looking like the good guy. And it ends up being bonus points for them. With something like retirement, there's no way you spend that. The only thing that Nick Saban can do is come out and say, I'm not retiring anytime soon. And people are either going to believe you or they aren't. And I thought it was very smart on his part. You're on the SEC network. This, you know, clip of him saying that is getting run on ESPN. And it's his way of on a national scale, having that platform announcing to the world, I'm not even close to retiring. So anybody that tries to make that pitch to you, just ask them how in the world they would know, because I'm not out here sharing it with people. Uh, you know, unless your source is Miss Terry, that's about the only way you're going to get legitimate information on anything regarding when my retirement might be. But I thought it was very smart. He did it in a, a fun way. And I think it was kind of eye-opening to a lot of people that he doesn't really have too much of an interest in 
trying to figure out what's going to be that next step in his life, what's going to be what makes him fulfilled, gives him purpose. He's not ready to give up coaching, and I don't think he's going to be ready anytime soon. He loves what he does. He loves the grind of it, and it keeps him going. I think it's you know kept him you know young in a lot of ways. So I thought that was very smart uh, on his part to address that in the way that he did. So, Jimmy, as far as that, if you got anything else on that, or you can address the the cornerback comment. No, uh, it was, you know, about Kyrie and Kool-Aid being uh, banged up. You know, that probably has more to do with, uh, you know, missing time in the in the weight room, you know, more than anything, because obviously they're not practicing, practicing as a team. And I know of no information yet. Uh, I, I'm not aware of information that Kool-Aid or Kyrie uh, won't be practicing, you know, when practice starts literally just two weeks from today. Uh, to, to my knowledge, they'll be out there day one and be fine. So, uh, but apparently they missed time. You know, they missed time this spring. They missed time this summer in terms of uh, the seven-on-seven stuff the team does on their own uh, in terms of the weight room, you know, which is important. Uh, but uh, but that, that, that was news. I, I have a lot of confidence in that group. I mean, Nick's going to be hard on those corners because that's his position. Uh, you know, coaches, the, the best coaches are never satisfied. With what they're with what they're getting out of their players, they're pushing them to you know to be better, better, better. But uh, I, I love Ricks, uh, I love Kool Aid, and I think Kyrie proved in the playoffs last year that he's good enough to be a starting cornerback in this league, uh, and, and and still has time to prove that he's even better than that. But I, I, I like where Alabama's a corner, and uh, I really like Terrion Arnold uh, in the long term as well. Uh, Earl Little has a lot of hype, and I, I, I believe Earl Little will be a good player. I just think that that there might not be snaps for him. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with that. You know, really, what I felt good about with Alabama at their you know cornerback spot is just the depth that they've been able to build. You know, when you've got three guys who you're like, man, I think any any of them is starting caliber is a starting caliber player that obviously has some built-in depth. And then when you get to the number four guy in like a Terry and Arnold, there's still some uncertainty there. We don't necessarily know how his development has come along, making the transition from high school safety to college corner. But at the same time, if he was your number three guy, then you say, okay, you've got talent there, but you might be a little bit concerned, but he's your number four player. You know, it's going to take some, some pretty bad things happening to force him into significant action. What you're more so getting is, him being able to get his feet wet in situations where he's comfortable and the situation allows for it. And then you're allowing him to, to continue to develop behind the scenes, which I think will give him a much better opportunity to be in position to make that, you know, Ruben Foster style of leap, right? You know, we, we saw with Ruben, he got to do all his development behind the scenes. And by the time he was actually put on the football field, he was this just absolute, you know, rock star. And people don't understand, if he would have been pressing action a lot earlier in his career, you wouldn't have got that kind of all-star performance. You would have saw a guy who was still developing, you know, maybe not physically necessarily, even though there was some physical development that needed to happen. It was more so understanding, you know, how to do things, you know, on defense, understanding the defense. He would have been, he wouldn't have been the player that everybody saw. And I think that we've seen players get pushed into action that maybe weren't ready, that they had to, and maybe they weren't this all-star from day one but they'll continue to develop into one. And then you've also got guys like Terry and Arnold, who you should be hopeful for that. He can take that Reuben Foster style of leap where he, he's just putting his head down. He's going to work. 
He's steadily increasing, you know, what he's being asked to do, what he's being taught, the responsibilities that he has. And then he might be in prime position to be one of your best secondary members when he steps up to become a starter in 2023, which is when I really think he's going to start making some moves. But uh, we are going to do a two-part podcast today, by the way. We only got a couple of minutes left before the time runs out on us. So I'm going to stop this here in just a second, and then we're going to immediately hop back on and record the wide receiver position preview heading into fall camp, and that's going to be a lot of fun. Looking forward to that. But before we hop off of this particular episode, Jimmy, do you have anything else to add based off of what I just said or anything else from SEC Media Days? Maybe what Will Anderson said. Just uh, and, and Will Will's just the I, I, you know I bought up on the board. I think Will may have now wrestled the title of best Saban bot ever. I mean, I mean, in terms of everything he says is 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 perfect. He's a leader. He's a great kid. He's your hardest worker. He's your best person. He's the best defensive player of the Saban era. Maybe the best defensive player ever at Alabama. Uh, all true. Uh, I just like shout out to I, I really enjoy Sam Pittman. Uh, I really enjoy Shane Beamer. Uh, you know, it's it's okay to uh, to have favorites around the league that aren't, aren't just your guys. And and I think the job those two are doing are great. And uh, I think they're really good for college football, both of them. Absolutely. Yeah, I completely agree. It was, I mean, it, a lot of the coaches were fantastic. You know, I, I thought Lane and what he yeah. said and did, he's a guy who likes to poke fun and likes to, you know, he's, he does some quirky stuff, but when you actually stop and listen to some of the things that he says, he's got a lot of Nick Saban caliber insight on college football. You know, him attacking the NIL stuff and just the comparisons that he makes and the points that he brings up. I think there are points that need to be made and they need to be addressed. He does a great job of knowing when to try to address those and making it a conversation. And so, you know, I was impressed with him, you know, Mike Leach, not giving an opening statement. I mean, I, I just, that's so Mike Leach. Uh, I get it. In fact, a lot of my speaking engagements when I have one, you know, I can't stand the opening statements. I would tend to one rather just get up there and just have people start asking me questions. Cause that's, you know, you're going to ask what you really want to hear. And so I uh, just seeing him do that. I was like, you know what? You've given me the confidence. I'm going to do the same thing. <laughs> we're going to skip all that hoopla stuff where I'm trying to come up with what I think you want to hear. And we're just going to get to get, yep. get to the meat of the subject. But yeah, that's so right. many guys did, you know, a great job uh, as far as covering sec media days and just the content that was provided by the coaches. But that's going to do it for this episode of the Bam on three show. We'll be right back. There's going to be two episodes that are released today. So don't worry. We're going to get to those wide receivers and we appreciate you guys tuning in once again, this is the Bam on three show and I'm your host Clint lamb.